You're listening to audio from Embassy Church. We exist to advance the message and ministry of Jesus in the city of Bloomington, on the campus of IU, and to the ends of the earth. Psalm 84 says this, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord of armies. I long and yearn for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Even a sparrow finds a home and a swallow a nest for herself where she places her young. Near your altar, Lord of armies, my King and my God, how happy are those who reside in your house who praise you continually. Happy are the people whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a source of spring water. Even the autumn rain will cover it with blessings. They go from strength to strength, each appears before God in Zion. Lord God of armies, hear my prayer. Listen, God of Jacob. Consider our shield, God. Look on the face of your anointed one. Better a day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than live in the tents of wicked people. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord grants favor and honor. He does not withhold the good from those who live with integrity. Happy is a person who trusts in you, Lord of armies. Nice. I didn't know if you were going to pray or not, so. Oh, that was our prayer. Okay, amen. Hey, morning. My name's Derek. Uh, if we haven't met before, uh, lead pastor Chris Cook. He's out this morning. He's preaching somewhere else for a buddy. Um, so you got me, and I'm happy to be here. Uh, Psalm 84 is great. I think the Psalms have been great as a whole this summer. Just kind of, I mean, if there's one word to summarize the Psalms, I think it's hallelujah. Like, just, it's teaching us to praise the God who is and uh, give us words to speak to him, you know. And so, I'm excited to jump into Psalm 84. Uh, you notice the first line there, how lovely is your dwelling place. One thing you need to know about me is I love dwelling places. Uh, I really do. I love houses. I'm a big house guy. If you know me, you, know, you actually do probably know that because I really am. Uh, one of Sydney and I, my wife Sydney. She's, uh, oh, she's doing kids check-in, so you might have seen her there if you have a kid. Um, what we love, our date night, like, ritual, uh, at least once a month we do this, is we just, like, get on Zillow and we just look at, like, you know, pretty realistic homes for us. We're just, like, we like to keep tabs on the market. And uh, we'll just, like, pick a couple of our favorites and we send them to each other. And so we have a list of, like, you know, four or five favorites. And we go get ice cream and then we just drive, go and look at them. And that's, we call it Zillow and Chill. That's what we do for our, our date night. We don't actually call it that, but we are, we're going to now. Um, and it's fun. We just like doing that. Uh, I don't know why, but I get this psalm, which is great. Longing for God's house is the title in my CSB Bible. And uh, yeah, if you have a Bible, it would actually be very convenient for your own sake to track with me. Because I'm, I'm a little sporadic, so it would be helpful for you if, you if you just leave it open. Um, and, and what I want to talk about... This morning, as it, it pertains to God's house, if you will, this, this dwelling place of the Lord, uh, I, I do want to up our longing for whatever that place is. Like, I, it's this idea of homesickness, right? And so if, if nothing else, I want us to leave, not even leave here, by the time we get to the back half of worship, I just want to raise the, like, homesickness level of the room. I know that sounds negative, but I, I think if we, if we interpret this psalm properly. It's, it's this positive sort of homesickness, this longing and yearning for a place that is truly perfect and special and that uh, if you believe in, in Jesus, you get to spend forever in. And so, excited to go there. 
Um, probably when it comes to homesickness, one of the most familiar ideas is Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. Uh, I don't really like the Wizard of Oz. I think the characters are creepy. I think Dorothy's like a little annoying to me. Uh, the plot is okay, but at the end, right, you know the, the famous scene where she has the red slippers, and I don't know, is it toes or heels that she clicks? Heels, yeah, so even that's weird, like, there's no place like home, there's no place like home, right? And it's Kansas, like, it's not even, like, no, there, there probably is no place like Kansas, which is just garbage. And so that's, that's like probably the most culturally familiar idea of like home, really homesick. Like, man, get me out of Oz's world back to Kansas. Um, and and I, I, I think we're familiar with homesickness too. At least I'm, I'm a little closer to the pulse of it with working with college students, right? Tons of freshmen. It's just a transition. And I sit down with them and then like there's some level of homesickness probably with like all of them. And I, I, I have to just like reserve myself a lot of times because I remember the feeling, but I also know like there's almost this facade of like what home was like because your whole life you wanted to leave home probably and now you're like homesick. And so it's like, look, what I love telling them is like, this is your home now. And I know parents in the room are like, no, that's, that's, that's not true. Like they, they can always come home. This is their home. It's like, no, wherever you live is like where your home is. Um, to me, anyway, so we could, we could disagree about that at the end of the service. It's not going to matter. Um, this is your home now, but, but homesickness, this, this longing, this longing for the courts of the Lord, as this psalm's going to put it, where's that longing come from? Like me as a, a non-believer, totally understand if I don't have any, any homesickness for God's heavenly kingdom, right? But us as believers, we kind of feel like, yeah, I've felt that at times, but sometimes I, I'm not homesick at all. Like I'm just totally content uh, to live here on earth and that be the, the end of the, the discussion. And so I think it's an inadequate question to go at of, of where's this longing for God's house come from. Um, and I, th- I really think before we jump in, like the main reason we wouldn't be homesick at all is because we're just like totally okay with thinking this earth is all there is. This is our home. And that, that's what I'm living for. Right? So if we're not ever going to be homesick, it's probably because that idea is the driving force of like death is the end and there's nothing after that. And so... I'm just going to live it up. Believe it or not, we're all guilty of some level of that sort of subconscious thinking. And so I want to look at what's, what's it look like not to be, you know, annoyingly homesick like, like Dorothy, but happily homesick. Homesick in the Christian sense. Homesick in a way that makes us live differently in the here and now. Psalm 84 is, is going to get us there. And so before we, we actually start walking through the text, like one more thing to understand, especially about the Old Testament Psalms are no exception. This Psalm for sure no exception is, I'll never forget when somebody explained this to me and it helped me read the Old Testament, but so often in the Old Testament, there's these, these double layers of meaning going on. And so this Psalm is, is a classic example of the Psalmist is writing about an actual temple that he actually pilgrims to and where actually the Lord's like presence is its most full in the Old Testament day. So, so he's, he's writing that, but there's this another layer of meaning that I, I would argue he's not even conscious of, but God, as the ultimate author of this text, is, is penning in there for us who live in New Testament times after Jesus of this, this heavenly temple, this eternity of dwelling, like, not in just this God's presence, but like with God forever. 
And so that, that's oftentimes woven throughout your Bible. You see these texts that seem like kind of confusing. Like, is that talking about like heaven or is that talking about something I don't really understand? It's like usually the answer is both. Psalm 84, here's the three points if you're that sort of person. Happily homesick is your title. Your three points are there is a perfect house. The perfect house does exist. Contrary to, you know, I'm a big proponent of there isn't a perfect house in earth. I repent of that this week. I'm like, no, there actually is a perfect house. I need to think about it more often. There is a perfect house. We are imperfect pilgrims, and God himself is the prize. That's where we're going. Verses 1 through 4. There is a perfect house. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord of armies. I long and yearn for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh, my insides and my outsides, cry out for the living God. Even a sparrow finds a home and a swallow a nest for herself where she places her young near your altars, Lord of armies, my king and my God. How happy are those who reside in your house, who praise you continually. Maybe your Bible says, blessed are those who reside in your house, who praise you continually. Blessed are the people whose strength is in you. In the next verse, in the final verse, blessed is the person who trusts in you. This is like the Beatitudes of the Old Testament, right? And I think that's kind of how this psalm is, is broken up. And so this first chunk, blessed are those who reside in your, your house, who praise you continually. God's house is a perfect house. You know, and we talk about people being from a broken home. Like, that's always interesting to me. It's like, what was wrong? The foundation have issues? The roof had a leak? You know, why don't you just fix the home or move? It's like, no, we're talking about like this, this inward, there's this brokenness. And I would argue all of us are from some level of broken home. Like, there's no perfect home. But there is. Someday. And that's, that's what this psalmist is, is helping us look towards. Verse 10, I think, puts it best. Better a day, a day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. Better one day than a thousand in, I don't know, Florida. I can't, why is that the best I can think of? Mexico, there's a little better, maybe. Bali, never, I don't even know where that is on a map. But one day in the courts of the Lord, that's like this, this the courts, just so you know, for as we continue, like there's the holiest of holies, and then there's like the courts where everyone comes to worship. No one's allowed to go in the holiest holy except a priest once a year, and he has to do all this stuff. And then there's like the gates, and then there's like outside the gates, right? So just the courts where all the people get to come worship God. Better is one day in the courts of heaven than a thousand anywhere else. Do you believe that if you're a Christian? It, you should. There's a billion HGTV shows trying to convince us that there is a perfect house or your house can be a perfect house. You know, I like those shows. Um, but this is the only perfect house. And I think it's interesting that the, the psalmist goes on to say, I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than live in the tents of wicked people. Maybe your translation says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than stand outside in the tents. A doorkeeper. So I, I just was, you know, I did my homework this week so I could preach to you guys. And First uh, Chronicles 26, this is where this idea of doorkeeper, I was like, man, what, what was a doorkeeper's job really? Is that even a real thing? Or is he just saying this for hyperbole? No, here's Psalm, or not Psalm, First Chronicles 26. Uh, they're, they're talking, they're going through this list of jobs for the Levites. There's priests, musicians, treasurers and other offices, military divisions, leaders of the tribes, and then in, in chapter 26, the doorkeepers, okay? 
verse 12 through 19. These, these divisions of the gatekeepers, under their leading men, had duties for ministering in the Lord's temple, just as their relatives did. They cast lots for each temple gate, according to their ancestral families, young and old alike. The lot for the east gate fell to Shelemiah. They also cast lots for his son Zechariah, an insightful counselor, and his lot came out for the north gate. Obed-Edom's was the south gate. His son's lot was for the storehouses. It was the west gate and the gate of Shalaketh on the ascending highway for Shuppam and Hasa. There were guards stationed at every watch. There were six Levites each day on the east, four each day on the north, four each day on the south, two pair at the storehouses. As for the court on the west, there were four at the highway and two at the court. And here's, here's where this is kind of interesting. Those were the divisions of the gatekeepers from the descendants of the Korahites and Merarites. This is a psalm of the sons of Korah. So the, the sons of Korah were, were these gatekeepers. So he's saying, I would rather just be on the outside, but, but near enough to, to the temple. Like, I feel like I have a job. This is the non-ministry, ministry jobs. This is parking team. We don't even really have that. Um, but he's saying, I would, I would rather be here and, and at least this close to the place where God dwells than anywhere, anywhere that's further from here. I would rather be a doorkeeper. I would rather be on the outside with no shelter, exposed to the elements, the first to die if there's an invader, but, but close to my God than any further from him. Would we rather be doorkeepers? Or would we rather be comfortably far away from God? Are you willing to suffer if it brings you closer to your God? Or does the latter sound more appealing of just, eh, distant, comfortable, you know, I'm good. This is my home. Don't touch it. If God's house is perfect, would we willingly, like, suffer just to, like, see a bit more of it? There's nothing better than God's house, and we were made to dwell in it. And so, yes, there is a perfect house. That's point one. Point two, we're imperfect pilgrims. Verse five, here's your second blessed. Blessed are the people whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, that means tears, and they make it a source of spring water. Even the autumn rain will cover it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Each appears before God in Zion. I like, again, the ESV translation. I mean, I like the word pilgrimage, don't get me wrong. Whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Other, other translations say, in whose hearts are the highways to Zion. I love that imagery. In, inside all of our hearts, it's like there's this highway. What's it leading to? What's the traffic look like? We are imperfect pilgrims. I don't know if you know this, but people move a lot. I was looking up some stats. And, and just thinking about it, like, man, people do move. I know the judges just moved. Like, every year, 40 million people in America move. That's more people than have ever been in Canada at one time. That's not a joke. I know that sounds funny. I, were, I said a little funny. But 38 million people live in Canada. I'm sure no more than that's ever been there at once. 40 million people move in America. Every day, every day, today, there's 1,000 people moving to Florida. I don't blame them. We move. Uh, this is actually very fascinating to me. You can check out for this part if you want. But I always talk about the olden days. Um, or just think about it. And I learned something at the Evan Williams uh, Distillery in Louisville. Louisville was founded. This is how like, Louisville became a city. 
the, the part on the Ohio River right outside Louisville is like the, the place where there's the steepest elevation drop. So they, it was thought of as rapids. You know, it's not like rapids like we think of as rapids, but if you were in a ship built in, I don't even know what time period that was, you would think of it as rapids. And so there was only like one time a year you could cross, and it was when the water level was the highest, and they'd unload all the, everything from the ship at Louisville, and then they'd send either their best guy or their worst guy back on the ship and try and make it down the rapids. And if he did, they'd load the ship back up, but if he didn't, they just lived in Louisville. <laughs> Can you imagine, like, I'm from Iowa, getting a flat tire in Illinois, and then I just have to live in Illinois? That's insane, but fascinating. We're, we're pilgrims. Like, humans are just wanderers. If you were to zoom out and get like an aerial view of the world in like a time lapse, it, we would just look like a bunch of wanderers. We wander until we find home. Some think they found it here. Those people are wrong. There's no place like home that's false. What's true is there's no place that is home here. Critter had a great sermon on Hebrews 13 one time. He said, home's where the Lord is. And I'll never forget it. Home is wherever the Lord is. And I only get a taste of that home here, but there is a home. There is a home. Probably the, the, you know, I love, some people are more wandering than others. Like some people really are locked into place. Some have that wander, wander lust or not all those who wander are lost. I love that. Amen to whatever that means. <laughs> but as Christians, I would argue we're, we're to not wander. We're not wanderers. We're, we're pilgrims. We don't wander, we, we pilgrim. That is a verb. Looked it up. We, we pilgrim. What? Here's the question I want. This is probably the most like, you know, the Psalms aren't very applicable. They're just supposed to make us praise God. But here's probably the most applicable question that's important for you this morning is, what do the highways of your heart look like and aim at? Like, if you're honest, like, what... What do you long and yearn for naturally this morning as you walked in here? Was it, oh, I just can't wait to come worship? Or is it because you're so busy worshiping other stuff that it's like, no, that's, that's a good sign of where my highways and my heart are pointing. And maybe you're, like, if you get that wrong, mind you, like, you're not, it's very likely you're not a Christian at that point. Like, God has to show up and do something to, like, say, hey, I'm your, I'm your trajectory now. But even when he does that, there's times when it's like, ah, pretty backed up with traffic today, you know, or, ooh, that exit, the devil is furiously working to give you every off-ramp possible, so that, like, worst case scenario, you, you detour your highway, but best case scenario for him is, is still like, oh, I, I'm just not a very effective pilgrim, you know, I'll get there, but I just kind of didn't do much with my life. For King Jesus. What do the highways of your heart look like? And here's, here's the thing I love. I mean, even this, this journey of verses 5 through 7, I love verse 7. They go from strength to strength. Each appears before God in, in Zion. To be in the temple is a blessing for sure. But even to be on the journey is to be similarly blessed. Blessed are the pilgrims. Blessed are the people whose highways are, are, are set on the Lord. This, this is what makes us happily homesick. It should be exhilarating rather than wearisome because the grace and strength of the Lord is leading us on this pilgrimage. Blessed are those who, who pilgrim uh, and find their strength in the Lord. Third, we had, there is a perfect house. We are imperfect pilgrims. And here's third, God himself is, is the prize. 
Look at all the, all the language. Um, verse 10 through 12. Better a day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of, of God, not just any random threshold. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. When I think sun and shield, I think light, heat, and protection. The Lord grants favor and honor. He does not withhold the good from those who live with integrity. Happy is the person who trusts in you, Lord of armies. I want to read a, a story. Um, it's probably just like a once a year it makes it into a sermon sort of thing, and it's almost been two years since I've brought it up, so you're in luck. And I shared it at Salt Company last, so none of you adults have heard this. Um, but this is from a, a course we... Uh, encourage college students to take called Theology of the Gospel. Nope, it used to be called that. It's called Gospel 101 now. Um, but yeah, it's just like a seven-week course on just like really looking at the gospel and, and what we believe, and, and it's good. But there's a story in here, and I'm not a very good storyteller, so I just, I just I'm going to read it word for word, and uh, you'll, get, you'll get the picture. Uh, it's called The Merciful King. Once upon a time in a kingdom far away, there lived a great king. He was simultaneously the most powerful man in the kingdom and the kindest and gentlest man in the entire realm. The kingdom was known for its peace, harmony, and goodwill. Neighbors cherished one another, and years would pass without a single crime ever being committed. One day, however, the chief servant of the merciful king came into the throne room with ill tidings. Oh, king, there's a thief in the realm of your kingdom, said the servant. The king was astonished. Find that thief, and when you do, bring him to me. He will be punished with ten lashes. Those in the room were astonished. It had been so long since a crime had been committed that they could hardly imagine who would have done such a thing. A week went by, and the servant again made his way into the throne room. I have bad news for you, sire. The servant reported quietly, the thief has not been found, and he continues to rob from your people. In anger, the king raised his voice and said, find the thief, and when you do, he will receive 25 lashes. The people began to murmur amongst themselves, who could withstand such a punishment? Who could possibly be committing such a crime? But as time went on, the servant once again came back into the throne room with yet another bad report. Your majesty, the thief has not been found. We have searched in vain for him. Your people are still being robbed. The king was enraged. Find that wretched thief, and when you do, his punishment will be 50 lashes. Now the people were filled with dread. They were not even sure the king himself could withstand such a punishment, and if he could not, then certainly no one could. Who could be doing such a thing? Soon afterward, the servant again approached the king in his throne room. His face was pale, his voice was timid and hollow. Your highness, spoke the servant, the thief has been found. Bring him to me this instant, cried the king. The crowd that had poured into the throne room slowly parted, revealing the thief who now stood trembling in the middle of the room. To the other, utter shock and dismay of all, it was the king's aged mother. There she stood, trembling and crying. Her small and frail body was shaking with fear and shame. She was, perhaps, the very last soul that anyone would have suspected of such a crime. And there stood the king, deeply wounded. The crowd began to wonder and murmur among themselves again, what will the merciful king do? Will he set aside the law and display his love and mercy by forgiving his mother for her crimes? Or will he display his sovereignty and justice by giving her exactly what she deserves? Will he choose mercy or will he choose justice? The king raised his hand to quiet the crowd. Bring me the whipping post, he said. The crowd was dumbfounded. 
Would the king truly have his mother receive such a punishment? Even the king could scarcely survive such a flogging. This frail woman would not last even a few strokes. The old woman was tied to the post. Her garment was rent, exposing her back to the whipmaster. Her ribs could be counted for her frailty. Administer the lashes, said the king, and not a sound could be heard as the whip was raised. But just as the whipmaster was about to unleash his first stroke, the king cried, Halt! The crowd sighed in utter relief, but not for long. The king stood from his throne. He slowly removed the crown from his head, laying it upon the regal seat. As he began to walk down the stairs toward his mother, he laid aside his royal robe and finely woven tunic. Coming to his mother, he wrapped his enormous body around her, completely enveloping her under his frame. Now administer the lashes, said the king. That's pretty good, huh? That's one of the best stories that portrays the gospel and how God himself is the prize. Jesus is our king. In the case of, of Christianity, the king is what makes the kingdom awesome. I mean, why would we leave? Right? Once we get to our perfect home, we will never want to leave. In Revelation 1.16... Speaking of Jesus, says his face was shining like the sun at full strength. You can't tell me Psalm 84 is not pointing us toward him. What does the Almighty Son, verse 11, the Almighty God, who's a sun and a shield, what's he do? He bestows honor and favor on those who are far lowlier than him. He withholds nothing good. He lavishes it on us. If you think God's withholding good from you, you are wrong. Do you see God himself as the ultimate prize? If not, you'll never be very homesick. See, we as imperfect pilgrims should never get the keys to a perfect house. Let me say that again. <laughs> we all as imperfect, wicked, I'd even go, pilgrims should never get the keys to a perfect house. But I love verse, verse 9 of this psalm. It says, it's kind of weird. It says, Con consider our shield, God. Uh, uh, shield or king, either translation. Consider our shield, God. Look on the face of your anointed one. Jesus. God, don't, don't, please, God, don't consider us and our works in your calculations. It'll never do. But God considers Jesus and looks upon his face. And so the only reason we can rightfully hope and long for a day in the courts of the Lord is because the Lord Jesus spent a day in the court of Pontius Pilate. There he was wrongfully accused, wrongfully convicted, wrongfully crucified, not even at the door of the temple, but outside the gate, among the tents of the wicked. On the cross, you have the perfect pilgrim on an imperfect earth dying, not for the righteous, but the wicked. That is the only grounds you and I have to rightfully stand on as doorkeepers or otherwise in the house of God. And so, this morning, where we need to dwell, this side of our heavenly home is at the foot of the cross. All the time. That's where we live. That's our dwelling place until our final one. I think what I was reflecting on is that the pilgrims that make the biggest difference in the world are the ones that are the most happily homesick. Back to our question at the beginning, where does a longing for God's dwelling place come from? Where does this happy homesickness come from? Primarily, it comes from dwelling on the gospel. 
Verse 12, blessed are those who trust in the great home builder and king, the Lord of armies. Nothing fuels trust in the king and a proper homesickness like the gospel. Nothing. That's why we talk about what Jesus did for us every single week here at Embassy. Sure, this, this psalm is, is pointing to our future forever home, but it, it's, it's also pointing to like a real place, like I said. And so for us, what is that? There's no place that is home, but if there's anywhere that should make me happily homesick and challenge me to undergo some road work on the highways of my heart, it's my church. The temple of the New Testament is the church. It's this. It's God's people and God's spirit gathering. And so I, I want to like long for this more. Or to get in living rooms with some of y'all and let just do road work. We don't just, just hold out for, for heaven. We long and yearn for it. There's an active thing here. It's not just like, well. There's things we can do to rework our, our heart, 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 <laughs> heart highways here and now and get a foretaste. I, I want us to just like long for heaven for sure, but also just long to be together, even though some of us are crazy in here. Who cares? Let's allow the gospel right now to make us long for the day when we're finally home. Let's let that homesickness be fueled by the thought of the perfect sacrifice that paid for that home outright for us. There is no mortgage. There's no rent due on the first. There's zero need for insurance. There's just a massive once-for-all, all-time down payment and deposit made on our behalf by the builder and property owner himself who died for us 2,000 years ago on a cross. That's who the Psalms are praising. That's who we get the chance to sing again uh, to right now. And so, yeah, let's just pray and uh, be a little homesick in the best way. God, we love you. And uh, we thank you for He was truly longing in a way that I'm envious of. God, what would it, it take? What would you have to do uh, in my heart to... Help me pen, pen words like this for me to really believe that it, a, a day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. God, that's true. And I'll one day realize the fullness of that truth when I'm, I'm standing in those courts. And it's only because of the, the work of Jesus and his blood spilled for me. So God, help me to remember that truth this morning. Help me to sing with my brothers and sisters in this room and just praise you because you're the only thing uh, really worth, worth praising. And you've yeah, you got it. You got it right. You're the perfect pilgrim uh, for imperfect souls like us. And so we, we, we want to give you the honor and praise you deserve this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about us or to get connected, please visit embassybtown.org.